Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Uh, Adjust Your Tracking is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find all episodes uh, of AYT and our other shows on the network at theplaylist.net and your podcatcher of choice. Just look up the Playlist Podcast Network. This time of year, we're in October, fall movie season is starting, mm-hmm. and it feels like one or several either big movies that you feel obligated to see are coming out or just, you know, movies that were genuinely interested are coming out. And I yeah. already feel a sense of fatigue hitting where I'm like, Oh, I haven't caught up with right. a star is born yet. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm only just feeling obligated to see it because the culture's going nuts for it, blah, blah, blah. But within that, I've been, I've been trying to catch up on stuff and um, uh, finding that, getting a little bit more value, I guess, or a little bit more excitement from just a recent repertory screening of the original Halloween that I went to last week. And it was sold out on a 7 p.m. show on a Thursday, just sort of a random, like, we're going to just do a one-off of of the original. And uh, it looked great. It was at the Hollywood Theater here in Portland. And I just... I don't know, man. I don't get to go to full houses very often when I go to the theater. My schedule's kind of the opposite of the norm. So I'm usually going to matinees on like a Wednesday where there's no people in the theater basically. So to get that experience and with a movie that I love, I've seen plenty of times, but to see it in the big theater, I guess I, you and I love these, these little reminders that like repertory cinema still has a value there. People will get off their butts to see something that like the original Halloween, that's readily available, like everywhere. They'll come yeah. out and see it at a big screen at a, 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 a theater. Um, that's particularly like, beloved in a city that treats their theaters well admittedly in portland but like people go to this stuff and um that was really heartening and uh i'm very excited to catch up with the sequel uh that's coming up whatever it is sequel reboot that's coming up next week um because the original halloween is just awesome but um yeah i don't know i I guess that's where i'm starting first is or where i'm thinking off the top here is just like repertory screenings i know you saw the thing recently uh as well right yeah, the ArcLight has programmed like a lot of horror movies throughout October. The Thing was was one of them, and it's I've never seen it in the theater, so I I definitely wanted to to make an effort. Not a print; it was a DCP, but it looked beautiful. Same um, with mine. Halloween was a DCP as well. Okay, yeah. Um, so that would make David Cronenberg really happy since he was super dismissive of film, or at least shooting on film. I don't know how he feels about prints because they take they took painstaking effort to get like pristine prints of his movies and showed them. And it was like, that makes a difference. You asshole. Don't be so slight about (laughs) 
film. Well, I will but, say um, this real quick is my the DCP of Halloween, it was on a very big screen. I saw I I thought mm-hmm. it looked pretty great. And that movie, yeah. you know, uses a lot of dark imagery, a lot of shadows, and it looked pretty damn good. Um that's usually for me the giveaway where I'm like film does that better, and I still think it is, but it looked pretty damn good. I don't know. So how about, great. yeah, how about the thing though? How did that look on DCP? It looked it looked terrific. Um just the it was like super loud yes. and like that the use of sound in that movie is is pretty overwhelming um yeah john like the the movies back to back that john carpenter was responsible for is pretty astonishing and like it's funny to just like think of a filmmaker like him who like we now can regard as like legendary. And it was like, it was clear the impact Halloween had obviously when it came out, you know, it just like kicked down this door and like started a whole just like legacy of a, a type of movie. It sort of like kickstarted all of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but th- he still was kind of like, you know, he, he's, he's a filmmaker who is regarded as like a master in other countries and other cultures, but like America, he was kind of seen as like just a, an expert in trash cinema, like during his heyday, you know, cause like as much as, as groundbreaking as like every film ended up being, you know, like assault on precinct 13 to Halloween to the thing, like with the fog right before that and escape from New York before, you know, like around the same time, like there was just, there was like innovation you know, a scrappy exploitative innovation, but innovation nonetheless. And like to think about filmmakers like that being kind of like critically disregarded, you know, and like, and him being responsible for a certain type of movie that like now is kind of having a hard time finding its footing, like genre filmmakers and genre filmmaking. Mm. And like, that's something that we discuss a lot in terms of just going to the theater and like how those movies um, those like genre exercises and like, you know, just genre filmmaking at large is finding more of a home in like streaming just because like, you know, it's, it's, it's picking up where th- like where theater is sort of like leaving off, you know, like where if the multiplex is going to cater to a certain type of experience, um, then like streaming services and companies that are now in the business of producing actual like original pieces are going to pick up where like it's not being catered to, you know? Yes. And um, so, yeah, this is just that, that weird season where like we're on the assembly line towards like awards bait movies. And so like you and I were talking about like our own allergy to seeing a star is born and how like we're, we both had kind of mutually fast forwarded to our eventual fatigue with hearing about the movie during award season. Cause it seems like it's like gunning for that, you yep. know, like, and, and maybe for good reason, both of us are speaking out of ignorance. Neither one of us have seen it. Like maybe it's great. Maybe I will, I will burst into tears and regret ever being sort of ignorantly dismissive of the movie. I hope so. I certainly hope so. I love that feeling, but, um, like there's just like things are kind of on track. Like you saw the first man also, right? I did Yeah. Damien Chazelle's movie. And that was something I'll, I'll, I'll let it go back to you, but we don't talk about Chazelle very much and he's kind of become a major filmmaker. I think that's interesting in yeah. some ways. <clears throat> um, 
he, well, do you want you want to talk about him right now, just yeah, in terms I mean, of like his kind of place in the in the in the in the landscape of modern movies? Yeah, I do. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, I, and I didn't want to like cut you off, so that's why I said it like that. But um, I find that interesting. I mean, here's a guy who's made several movies that I really like, like Whiplash. I think is just uh, an amazing, propulsive, immersive movie, especially for the kind of movie it is. Uh, uh, yeah. It really like takes you for a ride. And then La La Land, I, I like, you know, I like that movie a lot and uh, enjoyed it, especially seeing it in a theater when it came out. And, you know, that movie uh, two years ago was kind of a star is born that year. It like it opened around the same time. It became a massive hit and it took on a life of its own. And then there was the eventual backlash that happens. Like that's just sort of happens to all these movies. There's a backlash or the reverse. If it's hated in the beginning, now the venom fans seem to like that movie. You know what I mean? Like venom was knocked two weeks ago by critics and now it's like a big hit. So, um, these movies follow a path like that. That's always kind of like dull and interesting, but if you can cut through the noise, like I've liked Chazelle's movies. Um, but here I see, uh, you know, First Man just came out um, just this last weekend, and it did okay at the box office. Um, I think uh-huh. the 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 hope is that it's going to have legs and stick around. Right. Um, I think the movie is good. Uh, a lot of critics, uh, a lot of audiences, from what I can tell, seem to really like love this film. And yeah. I'm I'm not there. I think it's kind of like. Uh, a great director making a smart career move and doing sort of one for them, you know, and showing he can play ball. He didn't write the script for this one, uh, Chazelle. And it's a very, you know, accomplished, well-made film, but I was like rarely, I I didn't have that feeling that you even referenced of like that thing you want from a film to surprise you, to move you, whatever. I I didn't Mm -hmm. have that, although just respected and admired a lot about it. Um, Yeah. And it just got me thinking that like, okay, so... This is one of the big movies that's out there right now, and it's probably going to get lost in the shuffle because there's just endless movies coming out every week now, big movies. The new Halloween movie is going to certainly take up a lot of the box office, and then there's the Suspiria remake coming in a couple of weeks. Um, anyway, it's, it's interesting. As we see this time of year where like movies are being cluttered, the, the the movie theaters are being cluttered. There's less of like a chance for a movie to hold on and find an audience. This is something we've talked yeah. about a lot. Um, and then I think it's interesting that while we're recognizing that that's becoming more intensified, uh, there's all these other movies that are kind of popping up on Netflix every week, seemingly right now. And some get a bare mm-hmm. minimum theatrical release, but uh, they're basically there yeah. anyway. So um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's all, it, it feels like the system is, is not, not in a good spot to be able to nurture a movie like, like that. So, well, cause I think, I don't think they know, like as much as everything is sort of boiled down to a formula and then like them, uh, you know, like the industry and, you know, uh, production companies insisting on kind of abiding by a formula that works. It's not clear what's necessarily clicking and connecting anymore. Like a movie like first man, you like the, the understanding is it's just a good movie. So it's like, this is what I think one of the pull quotes was, uh, this is what people go to the movies for like a big grandiose kind of visionary movie starring the, you know, just ever handsome Brian Gosling. And, uh, and he's great in it. He's so good. Yeah. They, they seem to have good chemistry with each other as filmmaker to actor. Um, but like, 
you know, there's just like a handful of movies that like why they click and connect is sort of unclear to me. It seems like space movies have a pretty easy time typically <laughs> when I'm not really understanding why they worked for like on a large scale, like Arrival didn't really understand why people ate that movie up when I thought it was pretty dopey, but, uh, interstellar, I think for you as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, gravity as well. But like, so first man, not clicking or connecting when there's like a a host of like other movies that like, you know, like what also opened and I saw with a sizable audience was bad times at the El Royale drew Goddard's new movie who directed, um, cabin in the woods, and was one of the writers on Cloverfield, the original Cloverfield, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. How so, was that, by the way? It's it's solid. Okay. It's like a, it's a okay. it's a fun, uh, like incredibly polished, uh, just piece of like you know it's like told in sort of like in a Rashomon structure of like all these people gathering at this like 1960s motel uh, on the border of California and Nevada. And like, it just goes into every, like, it's like four rooms, but with more polish and more just like, uh, you know, like sophistication, less Tarantino but, too. Huh? Hopefully less Tarantino as well. Like, uh, it's definitely forms. indebted to Tarantino, but has a hundred percent less actual Tarantino. Yeah, so his acting, we don't need that. <laughs> yeah. You feel his sensibility all over it, but you don't hear his voice, which is all I'm asking. So, um, <laughs> Aww. Yeah, it's like it's a it's a really expertly built movie whose payoff is just sort of like slight. And so in that sense, if it's if you're along for the ride, the ride is enjoyable. But if you're looking for like the climax to be the what truly sells the movie, it's a little underwhelming in that respect. But like that movie is great cast, well made and sank pretty quickly at the box office. So it's just like. I, I can't really argue, you know, cause it's like, there's, there's also that argument. that's like, it's a good movie, but so what? And like, you, you hear people say that where it's like, well, that's a, like, that will negate everything then. Like, you know, like, so what are you actually looking for? If something's like a solidly made movie worth seeing a story worth sort of losing yourself in with an artfulness that's worth like, you know, let just like giving into, it's like, yeah, but so what? Like, okay. Like, it's just like, <laughs> I, we're in such like a, an era of abundance in terms of like content gross and, you know, art available at any, like at any turn that it's just like, you have to find a way to sort of like narrow it, you know? And yeah, I think people just like, you know, like they don't know how to navigate the forest of, of content. And so like, yes, we're at this like point where it's like what does get a theatrical release is also kind of like Russian roulette, you know, like you you were mentioning off mic, uh, the sisters brothers, like yeah. that being a sort of exact, like a Western is like, that's always going to be a tough sell. Like the, I think that historically people are like, Oh, Westerns, like, even though they paid off, like obviously with like great examples of them. Yeah. Like they still are like, it's a period piece. Like that's a huge investment, which bad times at the El Royale was also a period piece, probably incredibly expensive because of it. And like, and therefore like you're, you're already sinking like a a great deal into something that, you know, like the, the, the easiest thing would just be like, well, don't make it a period piece, you know, (laughs) like, 
you save costs immediately. Like that's just how like business people probably think about it. And so in that sense, I don't know what you make a Western. That's not a Western. Yeah. How, how does one do that? <laughs> John Carpenter made Westerns all the time that weren't Westerns. There you go. Bringing it all back. I, I mean, there, there's a lot that we're diving into here and like, you know, we're, we're just sort of riffing as we were saying at the top, but like, you're making me, uh, this is reminding me of, uh, there's a bunch of turmoil apparently happening with Annapurna, Megan Ellison's company, yeah. which is, uh, funding movies, but now in getting in the distribution game, uh, they'll have the new Barry Jenkins movie. If Beale street could talk though, that'll be like one of their big movies for this year, but they're struggling. Um, they're apparently overpaying for their movies and the sisters brothers was made by them. And uh-huh. that's an interesting movie. I'm it's like the kind of movie that you and I are always like, man, wouldn't it be great if we had more of these like mid budget movies in a genre for adults, you know, it's things that we pine for. Yeah. And, and then when I see it, there's clearly there's very little excitement for the movie. It's sad. Like a couple weeks into a fairly limited release, it's pretty much done. The writing's on the wall. Right. And that's sad. There's so much talent involved in the movie. But also, uh, when I saw it a couple days ago, I also had the sense of like it immediately became clear about 20 minutes in. I was like, this just doesn't have um, God. I don't know. how. What do you describe? It just doesn't have any sort of hook that would that you could feel an audience to jump on and make it the kind of hit that it would need to be because it's kind of an expensive movie. Um, they like, right. built, they built like small towns. They did it right. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, they made the movie the way you want it, but it's like, yikes. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it, it seems like a bummer when these things happen. Uh, cause bad times at the El Royale had a decent, uh, opening, but they were like down in the lower part of the top 10 this year or this weekend for the box office. That movie right. was a mid budgeted genre movie. It's going to be a tough to make its budget back. Uh, we want these movies to thrive, you know, like these kind of movies. And then we continually get, examples of where like uh cool directors cool people involved um you know fun ideas for movies and then they just like don't land because there's just only so much space for these super hyped movies you got right now it's mostly venom and a star is born it's just like capturing the audience for the most part there's a little bit left over for these other movies that are just opening and trying to go big as well but um so many just get left. It's like, it's really brutal. It's like a brutal, uh, it's a, it continues to be a brutal business. Um, but now that there's more and more titles to navigate, it's like, I, I guess I'm not surprised a lot of people stay at home or find other things at home sometimes. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know, man, it feels like a big brutal industry right now. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's also just like, like we were saying earlier, like there's no, there's no guarantee that what works when it does, you know, cause like sometimes something will just connect and do well, like Mandy's success, you know, that we've talked about over the course of several episodes now where mm-hmm. it's like, it continued to expand and expand. And like, that just doesn't happen anymore, you know? And like the, the, like the, the sort of merit of the filmmaking is clear. Like we love that movie. Like we, it's like, a, you know, like startlingly well-made, but like, uh, how well made a movie is doesn't guarantee it's like people's reception of it, you know? And like that movie isn't easy for like broad audiences to like take on, which it it didn't win a broad audience yet. It didn't like continue to sort of like have, um, you know, like victory laps until it's like playing in every theater, but like it still broke out of like this sort of 
stream almost streaming only uh existence to like continue to thrive but like yes other than anomalies like that like no one knows like what works and so like the two movies that we're going to talk about you know review wise at least um this episode are like one is um i think day and date or maybe it's just i know it's opening in theaters uh the guilty mm-hmm, mm-hmm. movie from denmark and uh the apostle gareth evans new film that is that uh, went opened i was about to say that it opened on <laughs> netflix um when it's streaming on netflix netflix produced the movie um and like gareth evans is like a filmmaker who is responsible for uh, the raid one and two, which we've talked about at length. Yes. And he's like an exciting kinetic filmmaker who like continues with this movie to make movies that like are just like so startlingly alive in their, like their frenzy, yes. you know? Yes. <laughs> like, frenzy is a great word. <laughs> um, that like you seeing it play an audience like you and I saw the the original raid uh, in a like a an advanced kind of industry screening with probably like ten people maybe in the crowd um, you can't call it a crowd um, <laughs> but everybody was like screaming at one point or another <laughs> and then I saw the raid two at like a sold out screening here in Los Angeles. And people were losing their minds. Like it was just like he like plays the audience through his like kineticism, through his frenzy, just like in how the camera moves and in the sort of nature of how visceral the violence is in the movie that it just sort of like hijacks your nervous system to be like, ah, like the entire time. Like (laughs) and like he he sort of lets that apply with this new movie, which is a like pretty radical departure in terms of like the the story itself it's basically like the wicker man but with like the team that made the raid movies um same same dp you know same director obviously writer and director and uh so we follow dan stevens on an odyssey into a sort of wicker man commune where he's trying to find his sister and he has to sort of hide in plain sight amongst these early 20th century cult members on this remote island trying to find his sister while the walls kind of close in all around him and weird supernatural shit starts to happen. So there's like things that work. (laughs) Yeah. There are things that work in this movie that are like enough of a stylistic thematic departure for Gareth Evans and what we sort of know from him so far through like the raid movies that like, it's just sort of new uncharted terrain, but like, I don't know. And in watching the movie, it's like, I like I, I wondered what it would be like to watch it with a crowd because I was screaming at you know certain parts because like his his ability to like you this is not a martial arts film it's not a fight movie there's but there's certainly fight choreography mm-hmm. amongst um, Puritan type people and it's just like, oh this is new this is new territory and like <laughs> you know there there was something that kind of became clear in the the raid movies where like the camera moves with like a body falling, like through a window, the camera like sort of sways with it. And it like, it departs from the hyper kineticism of what was deemed chaos cinema. Do you remember the, yeah, the, the writer who coined Gosh, that term? I can't, uh, you keep going and I'll, I'll try to track yeah, it down. Dub, dub it in later. Um, so <laughs> 
that like that sense of frenetic cut hyper editing and cutting basically just like disorients the viewer that's not what gareth evans does in his movies like he moves the camera with the action to make you feel like you're a part of it and it's like that's part of what hijacks your nervous system while you're watching it's just like ah, like the entire like there's just like something vibratory about the movie and like we talked about with the raid movies there was like a, an almost horror element of the onslaught of like the sort of like fight frenzy right. and then this movie leans kind of into actual horror so it's like it takes that sensibility and it's just a natural fit but yeah i was wondering the entire time like what would i i could go see this in north hollywood where it's playing for probably one week um but i watched it at home and missed um the room full of people screaming along with me so so tell me about that real quick, because uh, there's obviously a lot to talk about with Apostle, I, I feel like. Um, but mm-hmm. that's the only you, you've referenced this before. Netflix movies just go to this one theater in L.A. in North Hollywood you're referring to. Right. It's like a weird chain of screens. What? What is yeah. it? Well, I picks or let's something. Let's not malign the chain. Sure. sure. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> I think that I they probably have deals with like different like just different chains, like seeing what works, but the last few hold the dark. And then this one I've noticed playing at the Lemley theater, which is like a chain of art house theaters that have like locations in Pasadena, North Hollywood, Beverly Hills, uh, Glendale, stuff like that. So they're like the kind of like outer areas, like none of them are in Hollywood particularly. Um, And I think the last like, both hold the dark and the apostle played at the North Hollywood Lemley theater. Well, cause these movies and Netflix has a lot more coming down before the year is up. They have some really big movies, uh, including the yeah. Alfonso Cuaron movie, Roma, which is going to be like their big Oscar push. And yeah, people seem to think, but it doesn't seem clear that it's going to get a larger theatrical release than any other Netflix movie. But all the ones that tend to, come out are just like select cities. Like I live in Portland and we don't get Netflix movies. We're, we're, we must be like a second or third tier market and for movies in the country, which is kind of weird yeah. to me. And I imagine to you as well, since like people go to movies here and like yeah. movies, but, uh, right. but, uh, we don't get Netflix movies. And I, uh, I think we've talked about it in the past on Mike. It, there's all these very obvious reasons that Netflix doesn't want to play the theatrical game. It has nothing to do with their model and they're essentially uh, going to just give their movies, put their movies on their platform anyway for the people that subscribe. So it's like, do people want to pay twice to go see a, a Netflix movie or anyway, there's all these like reasons I get why they don't do it, but they're like starting to, they're like doing this little bit of a like brief release for, for these movies. But uh, mm. I don't know if, or when is it ever going to expand? Like I would, Cause I too would love to see hold the dark on a big screen uh, apostle as well. Like there, these are movies that seem to be basically made um, for that. They could play just as well on a big screen. And I always appreciate that no matter where I see a movie, I want it to be made, like just make it as great as possible, whatever, right. big or small. But, um, and I guess that's fine. You know, these last few movies we've been discussing from Netflix have turned out to be pretty good to great. And, yeah. um, that's, you know, that's there, that's good, but, um, I'm not, I have not figured out what the release strategy is with Netflix and like how, how into the idea they actually are. It just seems to be like yeah. minimal, you know? 
Well, I think it's 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 like a numbers thing, and it's kind of like what we've just been mentioning this episode so far is like no one knows what works. So they're trying different tactics, you know, like they'll open it for a week or however long there's interest in it, or they'll have like a, a sort of like a company, not a company, but a, you know, like a theater, like new Beverly when like it was open before it closed for renovations, like they were, you know, having, locked in like week long runs of like Oakja and right, they would get right. a print struck for it, which is like, that's a big deal. That's like huge. for a, a movie that's like potentially not going to exist in print form in any way. Like they, they struck prints strictly for that theater and they did it for, um, David Michaud's movie war machine. Ooh, um, not a good one. <laughs> I, sure. But the print exists now. Isn't that thrilling? Um, <laughs> sure. So like, so were the new Beverly up and running and it's, you know, it's entirely possible that once it opens back up in December that like, you know, there, there will still be enough interest in like the directors we're talking about whose main kind of push is like on streaming services now that like you could get Gareth Evans to come and show, you know, one of the raid movies and then the apostle and they'll strike a print for it. Who right, knows? Like, right. but like Netflix, knows that their like model of like people watching it at home like that built their entire company obviously you know right. so, like, so like that's that's where they continue the, they'll experiment in like other avenues where like oh if there's interest yeah sure we'll strike a print or we'll show it at like you know this company's theaters for however long people want to watch it like it's probably not that expensive to get a DCP made well fuck I know it because I made it you know we made yeah. A DCP for our short film. <laughs> it's not, you know, inexpensive, but you know, it's fine. It's doable. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It's doable. And so like, I think they'll just continue to try. And like, that's, I mean, that, that's the sort of encouraging thing in this avalanche of like content and options is that like, no one knows what works. And like, as that's happening, as the, sh- the sands continue to shift, like experimentation is possible and like you'll, you'll get, you know, genre exercises like the apostle that are like a lot of fucking fun to watch, you know? And like, it's interesting that it's like, to me, it was, there was this intersection of like having Dan Stevens, who is an incredible actor Hmm. um, from like, you know, most beloved, I think between you and I uh, for the guest, Adam Wingard's 2014 film. (laughs) And like that same year, like I think they played Sundance and South by Southwest, at least on South by Southwest, I know, mm-hmm. together, the Raid 2 and Guest. Um, and like, so they were just like making the rounds at the same time. And they both were movies that I think like we tuned into because, you know, it, there was just a buzz about them. And it felt like there was going to be enough interest in both of them for them to make a big enough like kind of theatrical splash but then like eh, the guest didn't do very well theatrically at least mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the raid 2 which was like such a, a sort of like bigger more epic effort than the previous more scaled back uh raid one redemption um <laughs> and uh and like that didn't seem to really perform and so like 2014 was just this weird year where like those movies were getting theatrical releases and pushes and then like didn't do well. And so now it's just like, 
filmmakers like Gareth Evans and filmmakers like Adam Wingard, and Jeremy Saunier, like they, they like, why wouldn't they go to where the interest is to where they're being kind of welcomed into, which is streaming services like Netflix and Amazon prime. And they get good budgets and, and you know, pretty much yeah. creative control. It's so attractive to a filmmaker. And it, I've heard two, you know, legendary filmmakers now uh, over the past like week where David Cronenberg talked at Beyond Fest and I saw Francis Ford Coppola talk uh, yesterday at the David Lynch's Festival of Disruption. <laughs> and they both said now is harder than ever to get movies made. And it's like with the technology for movies to be made incredibly easy to get the means to make it on the scale that you need to, to have it have like a sense of sophistication. Yeah. It like, you can't get the money for it. And so like Francis Ford Coppola said, one of my biggest regrets is not handing the industry over in better shape than when it was handed to us. Oh, that's interesting. Like, wow, that's a really, well, he just admitted that how hard it is to get funding for anything made for especially original concepts, you know, and like side note, uh, back to sisters brothers, like uh, to, to go along with like evidence of how difficult it is to make movies like that. There is a title card that takes about a minute, I think to list all the different production companies that chipped in to make that movie. And it's, it's like laughable. It fills up the screen. They literally just use the text of all the companies and it slowly shows you each one is like, Oh, they're going to fill the whole screen with names. And it became almost comical. Like I'm like, wow, just like what it takes for one movie to come out and then like barely anybody sees it. And it, it's, it's, uh, that would be very disheartening. You know, it's, it is disheartening right. and it's, it's weird. Um, so yeah, I'm sure Coppola knows, obviously he knows what he's talking about. Um, but that, that's very weird. Uh, yeah. but you know, okay, let's, let's do this, man. Let, let's, let's actually <laughs> properly dive into apostle. Uh, w- what do you say? Cause I feel like, yeah. Uh, I mean, talking about it its place in the world, like <laughs> sure. But are we really digging into its content and yeah. its quality? What are yeah. we? Yeah. What are we here for? What gift are we giving, Joe? Yeah. Exactly. Like, because you, you know, <laughs> I do love that. Uh, this movie's on Netflix. Just came out on Friday, and like these movies, these kind of things. Just, I think the perception from a lot of people is they just appear on Netflix, yeah. and there doesn't seem to be much behind it. Some critics right. are talking about this movie for the same reasons we were interested in it. Uh, a director we know and have loved his work made something new, and that's very cool. But um, yeah, I gotta say, man. Um, I think this movie is pretty great uh, and it's messy. It's, it's, it's got uh, I think lots of sort of odd contours. It has a particularly strange lead performance from Dan Stevens that uh, I don't think totally works, but I kind of love it anyway, because there's like um, he's going for something in this movie that I don't think you would see from many traditionally handsome leading men of his ilk. Um, yeah, I think he's really going for something here. So maybe, I don't know, we could start there. But um, Dan Stevens continues to fascinate me. And I think this, I've only seen a couple episodes of that show Legion that he's doing right now. Yeah, yeah. This seems to be sort of building off of that. There's a real oddball sensibility to what he's going for here. And I don't think it's going to work for everybody. But I was kind of just pleased that like, huh, he's going for something here. And I don't think a lot of movies like this, um, and I don't think there are many movies like this, but like cultish oddball period intense horror movies that would like allow for that. And it, it, it adds something to the movie. So um, yeah, he continues to be a fascinating actor to me. 
Um, I, I'm I'm curious. I don't know what what did you think there with with, with him? Well, I think that like his. Like it, it's a it's an interesting contrast to his performance in The Guest, which is like so riveting, and like that movie is so singular in terms of. And I like went back and watched scenes from The Guest and the trailer, and like watching the trailer and being like, "Oh right, this movie was insanely difficult to sell because it's like the tone. You have to start watching it to get where it's going." Yeah, and even in that, like you may not necessarily understand that it's like an incredibly funny movie. You're like, oh, this horror movie is really weird. And it's like not a horror movie, but it's also not not a horror movie. It's like functions as an action thriller, horror movie, weird, unnerving black comedy. And his performance is so mannered and sort of like he's so like poised and controlled. And there's something kind of unnatural and off about it that like playing off the naturalism of the other cast members like there's just something kind of built in hilarious about how people react to him and how re- he reacts to the world as a sort of like fish out of water, um, ticking time bomb of like, you know, psychopathic ability, you know? <laughs> yes. And like in the apostle, I was thinking about like it around like the sort of third act of the movie um there's there's something in the scenes where he's not speaking that are incredibly just kind of communicative and like he's he's so emotive and so clear and like watching his reactions are they're not overplayed at all but when he speaks there's something so showy about it and like for me it did work and maybe that's just because it's a period piece and people are more presentational when they speak at least in period pieces but like there's a scene where he's he's talking to somebody about their father and how it's the, you know, he's the leader of this cult that Dan Stevens character is infiltrating. And he's like, my father would never kill anybody. He's like, he, he will. And he has, <laughs> and like, there's just something. So I was like, fuck, no one lands lines like that. So there's something kind of classical about it mm. that like he's, he's channeling something not unlike, you know, I mean, the wicker man remake like Nicolas cage, like <laughs> especially lately as people are sort of reinvestigating his work and being less dismissive because of the success of Mandy. Like he talks about him, like his work being expressionistic and like heightened in that way and just sort of like overly showy and theatrical and how that's okay. I don't think that's what Dan Stevens is doing, but there's also something kind of like that is kind of big and like, almost over the top and what he's doing. Right. Right. And like, yeah, maybe it's just that he's so goddamn handsome. And so it's just <laughs> hard to like, I'm like, God, I just love looking at this guy. Look at his dreamy blue eyes. Anyway, <laughs> it's easy to get lost in those, those eyes. Dan Stevens is, he is, he is a beautiful man, but uh, you know, I feel like we should like let people know he's going to go through. He goes through some shit in this movie. It's, it's fair to say. It's true. It's pretty grisly. It is super grisly, and I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, the director of The Raid and The Raid 2, and I think also worth noting is that short film he did for an otherwise pretty terrible series of movies, the VHS movies. He mm-hmm. did, what was it, VHS 2. He has like yeah. a half an hour short in there that also has to do with a religious cult that goes completely supernatural and crazy. Um, I think that might be on Netflix as well right now, so that's worth tracking down too. Um, this is a guy that gives you grisly imagery. He gives you incredibly 
uh, I, what was the word you used? Frenetic frenzy, uh, frenzy. Yeah. The frenzy he creates. There's just something about that. And it's, it's, it's in a rhythm with the camera work, with the action as he portrays it from like, um, yeah, I don't know, man. There's an intensity that he achieves that, um, I guess I, I assumed wrongly that he would sort of ditch that camera move with the fight choreography thing that he did so well with the raid movies, but I actually was kind of pleased to see like, okay, so it doesn't feel like it's becoming a lazy tick for him. It's more like, oh, wow, I'm seeing that in another context in Apostle. And um, it's pretty satisfying. It really is an interesting way to see a movie uh, of this era, like people in old timey clothes. It's like early 1900s. Uh, speaking in a proper sort of British dialect, as you had uh, mentioned. Um, and then you get that mix. It, it's it's like, uh, it's a really interesting contrast. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of plays well to what I think is actually a pretty good slow build in this movie. And I think what makes the build um, good, it might not work for some people watching at home. Netflix might not be the best uh, place to give into a two hour, 10 minute slow build, but uh, the payoff is so good in this movie and it ramps yeah. up to such a degree that I think it's all worth it. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about this movie. It's, it's like definitely left images in my head where I was like, it, it just, it, it, it has a great buildup and it has some legit, like fantastic sequences in it. Yeah. And it's, it's got some like beautiful photography, like kind of what we're talking about with uh hold the dark on the last episode, Mm -hmm. how like there's, there's just something that is like innately cinematic. And when we think cinematic, we think of, you know, at least you and I think of like the big screen and how, how that it just lends itself to that. And so there are these like kind of overhead, um, scenic shots, like both in hold the dark and then in, in the apostle, and then there's like a beautiful, like they're, they're clearing the weeds to like, uh, during like a chase sequence. And there's an overhead shot of someone getting dragged back through the weeds yeah, by like a group of sort of like the, the cult sort of enforcement team. And it's like, it's such a gorgeous and upsetting shot. And like, there's just, there's something that's so, you know, we talk about how, um, how if people start to sort of tailor their work towards how it's being consumed, it's going to end up having an adverse effect. It's going to start, you know, like it's the potential for it being limiting is there. And it's just like, this movie doesn't feel limited or inhibited by like how people are primarily going to be consuming it and experiencing it, you know, on, on a television set or on their computer. Like there's, there's some, there's a big vision to this movie. Yeah. And what you mentioned about like the narrative itself, about how tight and claustrophobic it is and how people watching it might, you know, it might not work for them because they maybe they're chopping it up and they're like, oh, I'll watch a half hour when I can and another half hour and it sort of dissipates the, the, the tension and the atmosphere. Like that's something that um, through the both movies that we'll be talking about, um, like The Guilty, mm. the movie from Denmark, that we mentioned earlier uh, that is such a intense claustrophobic concentrated effort that like, I know that we've talked about this in the past about how like that's what film is. It's this concentrated vision of something playing out and can only play out like in one sitting and the way people are sort of getting accustomed to watching things like in 
you know, episodes, like the way things are broken up, like how television has become more sort of makes more sense to people than like movies. And there's the debate of TV versus movies, like how people don't have the attention span for a 90 minute movie, but they can watch episode after episode because like the art keeps resetting. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they, it keeps refreshing this sort of like delivery system of like, arc payoff arc payout or cliffhanger or whatever that is. And like, whereas like watching something over the course of hour and a half to two hours to three hours, if you know, you're really abusive to your audience. Um, <laughs> uh, and like, and so like people are just kind of like, not everybody, obviously we're talking, um, but yes. like people get impatient with, you know, like the narratives of films, but it's like a concentrated focused experience. And it's like, the the guilty if we can pivot real quick yeah we should is uh takes place kind of in um similar to lock um the movie that uh tom hardy is in yeah is in a, his car on a phone yep and that's all you're watching mm-hmm. it's him on his phone the ryan reynolds uh in a coffin and buried on his phone um there are these just sort of like isolated experience movies where, you know, this one is following a emergency dispatch operator who uh, connects to somebody who's calling from a van that they're being kidnapped in. And like the, just how carefully the movies laid out with like him, like the, the operator who's a former cop who's like under investigation for something that you don't really find out what. And like, that's a sort of just to mention the writing, the writing's like pretty strong in this movie in terms of like what it gives you and doesn't give you. Mm-hmm. And like his, it all takes place in him trying to figure out how to rescue this woman who's been kidnapped. And like the never leaving that room is like becomes so crucial to the uninterrupted tension and immersion into the story and watching this person's face as they're kind of agonizing over things in this sort of like forever tightening environment that he's in. Yeah. It's just like as as much as like outer space is what you go to movies for that pull quote (laughs) from the first man, like all the whole story is in one room with one person like trying to figure something out desperately and it's all done in just like, like one shot, not one take. Um, but like, you know, just, it never breaks from that evening that like real time experience of like sweating through figuring out what's going on and the reveals in the movie are just Jesus. Like, (laughs) and how that's done is just like, it's an, it's a new way to sort of startle an audience and like given like, I mean, you hear about that a lot from filmmakers where like if they're given a certain amount of limitations it actually opens up new possibilities, Mm. you know, and like that's why a lot of people's kind of first films are these like revelations. It's because they 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 found an ingenuity in their limitations. And these are like self-imposed limitations in terms of like it's only going to take place in this room where these two rooms with this one person like on the phone and like, and through that, like you have these, these big kind of thriller surprises in this new context that was like pretty exciting to watch play out. 
I agree. And I think the writing is the, the writing and the performances are sort of the pillars that make a movie like this work, you know, and they're all so well honed in this movie. I, I, uh, was always gripped from the start. I, and wrapped up in the story itself, right? Like I'm just absorbed of like, okay, like he takes a call that he's trying to figure out what's going on. Basically someone's in danger in a moving van that calls the, the like call center that he's been sort of relegated to because of this mishap or something. Uh, you do kind of find out a little bit more as the movie goes on, what he yeah. is guilty of or what or wrong choice of words, what he he's going to have to like go to court for. He's got like a mounting series of like, uh, anxieties. Um, right. but I guess I really liked, um, that in the script, the movie doled out exposition in a way that was very like thoughtful and felt realistic. Like how would this stuff come up if it did? Um, so you've got the tension of like, he's got this thing on his mind. He's sort of, this character has been punished and relegated to the call center. You know, right away, you learn about his character, um, without it being told to you, you see it, you hear it through the dialogue yeah. and character exchanges. Like that's just good storytelling. And when you strip those other things away, it's like, it's pretty cool to get an example of like, Hey, you just, sometimes all you need is just a room, some really good actors and you're all set. And, and a compelling idea, uh, with something that isn't set over a long period of time. Uh, that's really good to make something that works well for, for like cinematic storytelling. Um, you, you know, yeah. you in particular, Joe, I don't want to put you on blast, but you love the 24 hour movie, right? Like that's a thing that you really particularly love. I do too. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, this, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I hope people find this movie cause it is, it's the kind of thing that like gets lost in the shuffle, but it's, it's going to be in some theaters. It'll, it'll be on VOD. I hope people find it. Cause this is like one of those good little, like, like, I don't think it's disparaging. It's a good little thriller. Like, uh, uh, I, I was like totally caught up in this movie. Um, and a lot of it is just like, wow, they did so much with so little and it's just really well done. Yeah. The filmmaker, um, in an interview was saying like, I think, I think that once it made like enough of a splash at festivals, there's obviously offers rolling in for him to remake it, uh, in English, and uh, he's just like, no, nah, I already did it. You know, I made I made the movie I wanted to make. Why, why would I need to? And like his trust in the audience to catch up to the exposition as it's doled out, like as sort of uh, patiently as it is, is like that's sort of echoed in that sentiment where he's like, why? Like, just just watch the movie I made. Like can <laughs> you like you can read the subtitles, you assholes. You know, he didn't say asshole. I did. But um yeah, it's just like it's he he's refusing to sort of cow to like, you know, this this expectation that it's like, well, if you want a bigger audience, you got to make it in English or if you want this or that, like you have to, you know, have it be, a, an, an, you know, an IP or it's just like all these assumptions that are continuing to like marginalize an art form when like it's clear that no one knows necessarily what's working anymore. So it's just like take take the chance and make something like however you can make it as like edgy and innovative as you can, you know? Yeah. I I feel like, um, I almost, I feel a little bad. We, we just sort of like riffed and chatted for so long that it, it almost feels like we're speeding through like just these individual movies that we're highlighting. But like, 
Yeah, I, 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 I can't stress enough. Like, I, I think this movie is like really one worth seeking out. That that's out there. That's coming out. Is it going to open in LA this Friday, or um, did it already open? Yeah, it opens opens on Friday. I think it the Lemley Theaters is definitely playing at. Um, so October eighteenth. Yeah, it's one then, that. Yeah. Yeah, and then Apostles out now. Um, <laughs> see it in a theater if you can <laughs> but otherwise you know kind of plays well into the the horror movie selections of october so you know oh man i've i mean yeah i've definitely fallen into that um but just this time of year been in the mood to watch horror movies and yeah. uh, i mean apostle is definitely like uh, uh we said at the top very excited for halloween and suspiria the remake are coming up uh, looks like there's more to be excited about in uh, in, in the world of uh, theaters too for for horror cinema. But yeah, you, you really you could do just fine with with Apostle, however you see it. Um, uh, I I really like this movie, and I wanted to say too is uh, I think I was less not not I think I was definitely less enthusiastic about the Raid Two when that had come out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I saw that recently, watched it again. I, I like mm-hmm. that movie a lot more now. It's kind of. Uh, it's kind of like the Dark Knight Rises for me, Joe. Like I've come around to both those movies. I think I had unfair expectations, sure, for those sequels. But uh, I've really come around to them both. Uh, the Raid Two is is pretty damn awesome. Uh, now I can't really like fault it for even the things I like like found, found issue with at the time. Uh, and I think Apostle just is further proof that Gareth Evans can do uh, can do other things, and uh, it's pretty exciting for sure. Yeah, he knows how to how to play a room full of people. So get a room full of people together and listen to them scream. And <laughs> I like I saw the guilty uh not you know, I saw it by myself, but like I was audibly responding the entire time. So it's like both movies uh know how to play a room and like, you know, do do yourself a favor. See it in a room. <laughs> I was doing the same thing with, with the guilty. I was like responding to it several times and I was watching it by myself because it's also fun because like, I thought I knew where the movie was going and several of the reveals actually like got me, which I, which I like. That's the yeah. part of the fun of that movie. It's there is a ride to be taken on. That's like, Oh shit. I didn't see that coming. That was great. Yeah. You were, you were talking about that with uh, the revival screening of Halloween that you saw that during like one of the big reveals, like listening to the audience gasp was like, you know, like a, a big sort of treasure of that experience of that kind of like classical filmmaking. And uh, whether it's a gasp of one, one person in a room or, you know, in a, in a crowd of hundreds, like it's, it's special and like worth, worth celebrating every time. That was beautiful. Let's wrap it. <laughs> Thank <Let's>... you. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. What do you say? Yeah. So just chill to the next episode. All right, man. So episode 187 of Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, if you made it this far, we we thank you. That's so uh, it's so nice because we got very jazzy. We riffed. We we bounced around. But um, I think it's clear we have appreciation for two movies that are getting less attention, I think, than the first man's and the star is born and the venoms of the world right now. So uh, yeah, seek them out. Yeah. That's, All that's... Oscar contenders, venom included. <laughs> I don't know about that one, but crazier things have happened. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll, we'll do that. We're going to properly wrap it up. Uh, you can find, uh, again, all of our episodes at the playlist.net. Just click on the podcast tab. You can also find our other shows on the network. Uh, and, uh, if you did that, we'd be very thankful. Uh, but not as thankful as I am to get to talk with you, Joe. Thanks for riffing with me, with me today. 
Thanks, Eric.